what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Even in movies and stuff, like birth is such an event, you know? And I think that in the movies, it's like there are some issues with like some of the ways it's portrayed where it's like everyone so it looks like your water breaks. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. We are back again this week for another one-on-one episode. Gishia and I have been doing these conversational episodes at the request of our audience. We we did a two-part episode uh, recently on body image, which was a lot of fun. And this week is part two on motherhood. Last week, we started with an episode on motherhood. The conversation was pretty <laughs> free-flowing, but we we got into you know some experiences around conceiving. Uh, we talked a little bit about miscarriage and pregnancy loss. We got a little bit, I mean, I think incidentally, we talked a lot about our own experiences of mothering babies and and young children and just some of those perceptions. And this week we wanted to dive back into our conversation. When we left off last week, we were talking a little bit about balance as a mom. And when you're a mom, you're also simultaneously a lot of other things. So uh, to jump back in, here we go. I mean, being a mom, you have to wear so many hats. I mean, being a stay-at-home mom is a full-time job, if not more, in and yeah. of itself. I mean, I, I still, like, I think about my grandmother having eight kids and my mom having four kids. Like, it, it's just having one is is a lot. You're responsible for a whole human life and then you add more children to the mix and it just, you know, becomes that much more challenging. So, I mean, how has motherhood really changed for you? You have Eden, who's going on three years old this summer, and now you have beautiful baby girl Nina, who's 10 months. I mean, how was that transition from being mommy to single little girl to having two babies? I mean, I think it's one of those things that you just don't really I'm, – I'm a kind of person that like, I really anticipate things a lot, and it's something I have to work on just being a little bit more present and not being so much like, well, what is this going to be like? Well, what is this going to be like? And then like, you know, analyzing yeah. the 10 different ways things could go before, you know, life actually just unfolds for me. But anyways, I think I went through a very big transition when Eden arrived. Obviously, you know, my heart crippled in size, just meeting her, you know, and the experience is like more wonderful than anything I could imagine. But I also, which we can get into, had a kind of traumatic, not birth, but like after birth Mm -hmm. experience that I think led to some postpartum anxiety for me. But in general, I do think that it was a big transition. Like I had never in my life considered being a stay-at-home mom until I had Eden and you know, with some of that anxiety, I also had some, you know, not, I wouldn't call it like OCD, but I, I just had a lot of, I wanted to control how she was raised. And I had a little a bit of a hard time, like delegating any childcare to anyone except myself. Um, so there was definitely a lot of resistance and anxiety to like letting anyone help me, which with her. And so part of me was like, okay, maybe I should be a stay-at-home mom because I can't ever, I can't think of anyone else taking care of her. But then, you know, for several months when I was just with her day in and day out, and I was still working on Bridget and some things that I could do from home. But, you know, my husband would come home and he was like, you look like a starved animal. He's like, you look miserable. And he's like, and, you know, I get home and I'm tired after a long day and you just like go in a mile a minute, like asking me questions, like interrogating me about my day. And he's like, you just seemed like so desperate for interaction with other adults mm-hmm. so part of me had to like look in the mirror and be like okay there are moms that thrive as stay-at-home moms and I have so much respect for them but I'm like I have to out of respect for myself know that I'm like I'm a person that needs accomplishment and interaction outside of my home in order to make me a better mom to my daughter so going through that I also realized I was like I don't want to be completely away from the home. And like, if I can try to come up with this like 
hybrid model where I can be here a lot, work remotely, which is extremely difficult. I was like, but this is what, what I need to just find my groove that works for me. And then I got pregnant again, you know, after Eden turned just around the time that she turned one. And I remember my first year being pregnant again, I was like, there's no way I'm going to love another child as much as I love my first. I'm like, now I feel kind of guilty for being pregnant again because like this child isn't going to be as loved as my first. <laughs> and I, that's my actually mom, my fear right now. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> asks, they're like, when are you guys having another baby? I'm like, I am so obsessed with Jude right now that I can't imagine splitting the, like I need at least another two, three years. Like, yeah. I don't know. And I mean, I think too, like the timing, I think that's totally fair to also feel that and take that time. Yeah. I don't know, but I, I I definitely remember feeling that way. And I was like, oh man, I feel bad. I feel bad for the second baby. And I'm like, and I am a second daughter. I'm like, oh, maybe like, oh man, this is so complicated. But then, you know, my mom always told me when I would ask, like, which child do you love the most? She was like, <laughs> no, it's like, you have one child and your heart, like, she's like, when you get married, you think that you could never love another person so much, you know, it's like the best day, hopefully, you know, and you just, mm -hmm. it's like, we were talking about this actually recently, you and I, you know, on another phone call, but we're just like, you know, when you get married, you just think the whole world revolves around you and your love. <laughs> and it's the most significant thing that's ever hit the planet. And like, you know, nothing matters as much as your, your love, you know? And it's, it's to true. everyone. It's to everyone. True. <laughs> to, to everyone. I'm like to you, I'm like yes, it does. But like, I really think I probably was kind of like that. But I was just like, you know, you were very gracious, by the way. But I totally can relate. Where you're like, nothing matters more. Nothing matters more. It just was so revolutionary for me. Shout out, Andrew. Love you. Um, <laughs> then you have a child, and it's like your world grows again, and it's even more significant because it adds to the love of your partner. Because it's like we've created life together. So it's like that first love that I thought could never be changed in any way was actually enhanced by this additional love that's been added. And I think that it, it was very similar when I had my second daughter where it was like not only did this new life not take away from either of these people's love that, you know, is in my life, my heart grew for that person and it enhanced the love of these other two people because now I get mm -hmm. to see – you know, my first daughter interacting with my second daughter. And that is its own like huge magical thing. I'm like, these two people that I made are like loving each other. I you know, know. It, it's crazy. So I think that, you know, that I kind of feel like the Grinch when like his heart starts growing. Yeah, it's <laughs> like increases in size. <laughs> it's me, the Grinch. I understood that this early, like when my mom would always say that. It's I can't explain it in any other way except that your heart just rose so immensely but at the same time I mean being a mom of two now and realizing it is like it's so much work in our house like we're exhausted <laughs> I and my head doesn't hit the pillow and maybe it's because they're very young right now but like my husband and I talk I'm like how could you ever have more than two of them? <laughs> I'm like how how do you keep them alive I'm like our house is like being destroyed like just like booby by traps <laughs> yes and I, and I think my kids are like great I think they're great yeah. little people so I'm like they're not like bad kids or something I don't know I just uh, we are we are at our um, capacity <laughs> in terms of <laughs> energy but it's also so life-giving you know like they do one thing like Eden has started saying I love you in a way that's like Aww. really proclamatory like she just like really says she goes like I love you and I'm like what? So I give them these little <laughs> gifts of their life. It just really is so enhancing in the same, in, in more measure actually than it is. Well, I told you this off camera, but Jude said mama this morning for the first time. Like we we're like in bed as a family and he was like trying to get my attention. And lately all he's been saying is da, 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 which I guess is easier to say than mama. Yeah. But then like all of a sudden he's like, mama. And I was like, oh, I know. what is this new level of heaven? Like, what? <laughs> You're like, I feel fame. Like, like I'm mama. Dude, thank like, you for holding space for me. <laughs> yes. You see me? You see me? That is me. <laughs> mama is me. And they're like, wow. I know. In contrast, I think of like all the times when I was a kid and I was just like going through like a temper tantrum. Or, like, just being – I wasn't, like, a particularly bad kid, but we all have those moments where I'm like, yeah. oh, God, I wish I could have, like, disciplined myself. 
And I'm like, one day, one day he's going to say something that's just going to break my heart. And he's not going to mean it, but you're going to be like, this is what it is (laughs) to be a mom. I know. Just like that. I think my sister, Archer, explained it as she was like, my heart feels like an overripe fruit. Mm-hmm. And I, I like just like swollen and almost a little sick, you know, but just so sweet, <laughs> like almost too sweet all mm-hmm. the time and heavy in a way where it's just this thing that you're carrying around that it's just so big. Um, and I was like, oh, I think that's just like such a good uh, descriptor for how yeah. it feels sometimes. It's just like so full. But I do think that in terms of, you know, you, you asked the question about I, the identity of becoming like a mom of one and then a mom of two. I won't lie. It has definitely been like a transition in understanding my own, like my separate identity outside of motherhood. It's still important to me. When you get pregnant, you don't really realize like, it's like your whole life does change. It really does. Like you go from living for yourself and your people and your friends and whatever. And like, it's just like you're in a box. And then it's like, when you have kids, it's like they come first. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's instinct in most ways that I feel like I really have to make so much more of an effort. Like I have to be so much more mindful about like having my own career, my own friendships, like my romantic relationship, like takes work. It's not just this like spontaneous like thing that happens so easiest anymore. It's just like, it takes so much mindfulness to really exist in these other spheres when you are so immersed in motherhood. Yeah. You almost have to schedule time for yourself which sounds crazy, but you really do because you get so involved in the day-to-day. As parents, like you want to do right by your children. You want to make sure you're establishing the routine and you're creating the schedule and like bedtime and waking up and meals and is he eating the right foods and am I giving him the right kind of stimulation? It's very easy to get lost in that jumble, especially, you know, I mean, just period. And then, you know, add work on top of it. I think you and I both have very like high demand, like day jobs for lack of a better word. And then we have Bridget, which is our like job that we love and we keep showing up for. But it's, you know, it's a lot. You have to like really make sure that we're like scheduling the time for it, that we're putting it on the calendar. And then it's like in between that, you're picking and choosing moments like, okay, well, these are going to be, this is going to be the time for myself in the morning. And this is going to be like the time. And sometimes it's like just a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I literally set my alarm a few minutes so I can get like the first third of my coffee yeah. in my system before a yeah. child is attached to my body. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like, you know, I'll I'll feed Jude and then like, I'll be like, okay, Kev, take him for like 15 minutes. And like, I'll get like 15 minutes being in bed, you know? Yeah. But, you know, it's like taking the time to schedule those things. It's I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, motherhood being like their purpose or giving them purpose. And while I like I love that idea, I also feel like there's more to it. It's innately like you, Asha, like have lived like a rich life and you have all of the you have your career, you have everything that you've worked so hard for, your education, like your friends. Similarly, like I have the same thing. And When I think about who I was before I became a mom and who I am now, I like to think of it as, you know, my son adds a new level to all of that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't necessarily give me purpose in that, like, I didn't have purpose before, but he's created a new sense of purpose. He's created a new level of, like, being, like, a new way for me to level up and, like, expand my potential because, now I have the potential to do all the things I used to do, but I also have, you know, this child that I get to impart all of these things onto and, and also experience life with, which is really exciting. Yeah. I literally took Eden and Nina out for a walk this morning just because keeping them in the stroller meant that they weren't attacking each other. <laughs> this morning was very energetic for my kids and I was like, let's get out of the house. And Thank goodness, because it was right when the garbage truck was coming down the street. And I was like, Eden's never seen the garbage truck before. I'm like, Eden, I'm going to show you where the garbage goes. <laughs> so I like took her over real dramatic. And then like, look, I'm like the truck takes the garbage can where we put our garbage back. And 
it lifts it with this little claw and up it goes and it's empty now and and like it was so great because <laughs> like I was kind of having fun but her eyes like watching her eyes see how this works for the first time I'm like this is the best this is the best because I am it's almost like I get to rewind and experience childhood that like these moments that I've you know forgotten at this point you know just yeah. like the world through a child's eyes really like it's like an injection of you you know let it yeah be. yeah I just I think that it, it's almost like like you were saying it's like you have life on two axes or whatever before you have kids and then you have a child and it almost adds another axis in there where it's like you can see it in one direction and the reverse you know by how they see it too it's wild I mean there are sacrifices like things are never as simple as they mm-hmm. were like when it comes to like planning I have found that it's like I deliberately have to make time for the things that fuel me and make me feel good and then in turn make me a better mom Mm-hmm. And it's like it literally takes scheduling and like I, I'm used to like scheduling you know work and you know sometimes like workouts exercise, and stuff I've been pretty yeah. good at like scheduling exercise but like now I gotta like schedule like I've been feeling real anxious and like I need a I need a walk you know mm-hmm. a walk needs to be scheduled in here because I know that really is an effective way for me to feel pretty good and to turn my day around and you know some sunshine and steps are aren't bad either or whatever it is or like a a date night with my husband like we need to just put it on the calendar and like allow for it and plan ahead for it and make sure there's childcare or whatever because this is something that makes us feel good and that makes us better parents too you know as an effect I think that none of those things happen just by accident anymore you know very as often as they need to which I actually just realized that Kevin and I haven't gone on a date since the night before Jude was born. We go on a date night. <laughs> like we've gone out, yeah, you know, but not just like the two of us together. Yeah, got to text him. Yeah, we make it happen. <laughs> Leave Jude here. I'll watch him. Okay. We started chaos over here. <laughs> I'll take him. You might not ever get him back, but I'll take him. It'd be really cute to see what the girls did with him. Which, by the way, we audience, we did take the kids to the the Long Beach Aquarium, and when Nina and Jude saw each other, Nina grabbed his face, and it was like love at first sight. My girls are very, I, and you know, maybe this is something we were talking about. Like, they're always watching you, right? Like, yeah. I'm a pretty affectionate person, you know. <laughs> and Eden was like this too, but like. When she would see Jack, her little cousin, she'd go up and just like kiss him on the face. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, like we'll have to teach boundaries and stuff a little bit. Conversely, like, there was a time where Jack did not like that. <laughs> no, he just wanted to stand there. I'm like, all right, we got to learn like a little feedback. We got to build feedback. He's so, he's like, so sweet. <laughs> he's so sweet. Just confused by her. But I'm like, big love. My, both of my girls have like very big, yeah. open, trusting love. So. It's going to be fun to watch them grow up. I mean, (laughs) it's kind of wild. Like, so Jude's going on eight months and like in a month, he'll be out in the world for longer than he was in my belly. Yeah. And I'm like big time reminiscing right now on what it was like to be pregnant. And I, I almost feel like there's parts of it that I, I can't like viscerally remember, right? Like you like mentally remember going through it, but I'm like, I, I'm like, what did that feel like? I miss that feeling. What was your favorite part of pregnancy hands down the feeling of kicks like feeling movement in my belly just felt so just so amazing like I remember the first time Eden's placenta was like I think they call it anterior it was on the outside which meant that it was kind of like closer to like my belly button so with the placenta like attaches to a wall for those of you who gone through pregnancy attaches to your uterine wall somewhere and if it's towards the front it can sometimes like block the sensation of kicks that may be still kicking but like you might not feel it as much or until later in the pregnancy mm-hmm. so anyways I was waiting 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 for a feeling of a kick and Andrew's face Andrew was like we were just hanging out one night and he was like laying kind of on my belly and she finally she kicked and and he felt it on his cheek and I, I just remember the feeling of feeling both of them on both sides of my body <laughs> and it was like whoa <laughs> like, yeah. and I was like I was like the 
you know, the between, you know, they the felt conduit each other. for like yeah, the, my two loved like, ones. I was overwhelmed. I just started bawling. I couldn't, I, I couldn't oh. process the emotion. It was so overwhelmingly wonderful. So yeah, I would, I would definitely say like the kicks. And there were also moments where I think I didn't inherently feel sexy pregnant, mm-hmm. but I did feel like when I was like in a swimsuit and stuff, I'm like at a certain point, like you physically can't suck in. And I thought it was pretty liberating to just kind of feel like, you know, this is my pregnant form, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a child in my body right now. And that felt mm-hmm. really like beautiful at times to me. Yeah. I wasn't going to do you? a maternity shoot, but I'm so glad I ended up doing one mm-hmm. with one of our dear friends, Leah, who's an incredible photographer. But I remember like same thing. I mean, you feel so larger than life and you've got like First of all, for me, there were like moments of massive anxiety where I'm like, I hope this is going okay. And I have to like really talk to myself and like meditate and be like, you know, my body is going to do what it needs to do. And also my baby is going to do what it needs to do. You know, I have to trust that this like little life that's forming inside me, this potential for life and then this little life like that, that it's going to do what it needs to do to get here. And he did. And so in that way, it was a a very spiritual experience for me as his motherhood, you know, Ben. Is that grammatically correct? I don't know. It's late. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, but, yeah, you just feel so big. And it's really not. I felt like it wasn't until the moments where like your baby like makes themselves really known. They're like moving around and tumbling that you're like, oh, my God, this is so wild or like you hear the heartbeat and you're like this is you know I'm doing something with my body mm-hmm. and that feels so surreal and I'm glad that I got to like enshrine it because the way that Leah pictured it was the way she evoked the sense of like peace and tranquility that I felt internally when I could feel my baby externally in a yeah. way that I could memorialize it forever because the whole the whole experience wasn't like that, but like no. being able to see it, I'm like, man, that was like the beautiful part. Yeah. I think that you and I kind of related in the sense that like pregnancy wasn't all, all perfect and it wasn't all horrible. Like you, you sometimes mm-hmm. get glimpses it's like, oh, there's either the pregnant girl that she being pregnant or the ones mm-hmm. that not being pregnant and there's no in between. I'm like, I think that it was all at once, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and like both of us, honestly, almost every pregnant person I've talked to has some discomfort about mm-hmm. something whether it's like your kind of standard like you know round ligament pain or just like the feeling of heaviness or tiredness yeah. or nausea or whatever it is you know most people have something or back pain or, or just even the fear you know the fear really yeah emotional scary. stuff yeah they everyone i think not feeling sexy something in their pregnancy that is really difficult and it's i think it's hard because externally like whenever I see a pregnant person I'm like it's beautiful like I, mm-hmm. I especially now haven't gone through it I'm like wow like I think pregnancy is so beautiful externally but I also I remember the feeling while you're pregnant like I felt hyper aware all the time I also like you know I just feel like I, I had this whole separate reality that like I couldn't really like, communicate exactly how I was feeling in any moment to like people who were pregnant you know when you're like in a mm-hmm. s- scenario I'm like I was somewhere and like someone was smoking a cigarette and I was just like, I can't be here right now. I can't be here right now. Cause I'm like, there's yeah. smoke in here. And I'm like, I can't, cause my baby, I'm like, I really, I need to get out of the situation. Oh man, closer, I remember when you know? we were in New Orleans and it yeah. was like, there were like 30 cigarette smokers everywhere. And I was literally like, I have to walk so fast. I'm like, there was something in my body. I was like, I can't be here, you know? And it's like, <laughs> we literally just, ran away we from ran. our group. Like we yes. ran down the street and they were like, you could have just like walked five extra feet. And you no, we we're both like, had no. the same kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was like something kicks in when you're pregnant and Especially like they always say like pregnant women's like intuition is like, mm-hmm. you know, stronger. And I really believe in that. And I, I'm like, when you think about it, even just scientifically, if you're leaving all the woo-woo behind, it's like, well, like you have two beating hearts in your body at that time. Mm-hmm. Like you have two brains, like you're working on overdrive. You have, what is that, like double the blood in your body mm-hmm. or something? Like there's, you're, you are elevated in all senses. And it's like, that's why a lot of like, um, if you have pre-existing inflammatory conditions that can be exacerbated by, mm-hmm. you know, pregnancy, sometimes like someone will get eczema and different things. Like I had this weird thing. So 
So back when I was working in investment management, I had shingles at one point, which is brought on by like stress. So I had this weird like shingles around my back that was awful. And but then it went away. This was far before. It was like, actually, I had it when Andrew and I first started dating. And then it went away. When I'm pregnant, because I had shingles in my upper right rib around that area, it exists in your system forever where it was, Mm -hmm. um, but it just kind of lays dormant. Yeah, it lives in the nerve nerve root. Yes. So when I'm pregnant and that area is stretched and expanded, I get what they call it post-herpetic neuralgia, which is extreme nerve pain all in my like right rib cage. Pretty much it, it begins in the second trimester and lasts until the baby's born. Yeah, because you're basically like having all the pain of shingles, which is incredibly painful. Yeah, pretty much every day. (laughs) And that to me, I was like, man, if I didn't have this, like I would really be enjoying this a lot, a lot more. But there were (laughs) there were moments of like having to cancel plans and like crying in my bed because of this like intense nerve pain. I mean, looking back on it, I'm like, well, like it was worth every second for like being able to have my daughter's. But, know. you know, like you never really know what someone's kind of like going through such a when they're pregnant. Yeah, I know. And it was like it got even worse the second time around. It was literally like, I mean, we had moments in. in I didn't even realize life. that you had that with, with Edie. Yeah. Well, but it was crazy. very apparent. It was very apparent when you had Nina because, I mean, we shared a room in New Orleans. And I remember there was one night where you just it took you out. Yeah. I was just like, so, I mean, it was intense. But, I mean. I think that with a lot of pregnant women, there's all sorts of things. I think with anyone, honestly, it's like you never know what someone's kind of enduring and where it comes from yeah. and, you know, what they're maybe kind of like managing without telling everybody in the world about it. Like I, I shared that with a select few that I had energy to even talk about it with, mm-hmm. you know, and it was something that like even my doctor, when I first was like, I have this like incredible pain. I'm like, I'm, I have a pretty high pain tolerance, but this is like mind numbing, like completely it's taking over everything kind of pain and it took really like an acupuncturist to bring up like to ask me if I had ever had shingles and then we kind of backed into it and then my doctors like validated like oh yeah that makes sense so yeah so that was like one thing that was kind of part of my pregnancies but when I look at my pregnancies I was like I worked out my whole pregnancies even when the first one was during COVID and I still felt like I had this very kind of like you know, it was a stressful time to be pregnant during COVID because there were all mm-hmm. these questions about like how COVID could affect pregnant women. I remember just going through that whole roller coaster. However, like my lifestyle while I was pregnant during COVID, I was walking every day. Like I wasn't missing out on anything, you know, because I was pregnant because no one was doing anything. It was just like a very kind of quiet, introspective mm-hmm. time, which I felt like was cool in its own way. So pregnancy is a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. But it's hard. Also, you get like that, but you get like the um, pregnancy brain, which then turns into like mom brain. But that's a real physiological thing. Like when you're pregnant, your brain expands to accommodate all of the extra fluid volume. And so your neurons are actually firing a longer distance, which is why they say when you have pregnancy brain, it's like an actual real thing. And then your brain shrinks back down to its normal size, but then your neurons are all jumbled. And then you're also like, your brain changes in the sense that like you have all of these new senses. So it's like you become very, very animal again in that like you become like like a tiger mom in a sense, but like in in, like the visceral animal sense where like you can hear better, smell better, see farther because like your baby depends on it. So beautiful. Which is just so wild. Yeah, and to like experience that, and be like, oh yeah, no, like I could totally like, you can smell everything, you can hear, like even even now, I'm like I'm mm-hmm. I'm at this point, you know, ten months postpartum with Nina, I can hear every little every little noise she mm-hmm. makes in her little mm-hmm. crib in her room, which is down the hall, you know, with the door shut, yeah. with the sound machine on, and yep. it's like, how am I even hearing that? Like I used to be like a really heavy sleeper. I'm like, no, but now I just have this <laughs> yeah. awareness. Never, never again. Like yeah. you just wake up. I wake up so much during the night, I but I, I, and I don't even feel unrested. It's just, you naturally do yeah, it. It's awareness. It's so it's different. So amazing. Well, I yeah. want to talk a little bit about, I don't know, a lot of people are, I love hearing about people's birth stories, mm-hmm. you know, and they can be beautiful I also would like to preface anyone who is very pregnant right now, maybe close to birth, you know, if you'd like to, or if 
complications or any details around birth would be uh, anxiety inducing for you, this would be a good time to go ahead and pause or skip over this part of the episode. Cool. So both of us had beautiful births that resulted in healthy children, but every birth story is like unique. So I think that it's, you know, sometimes interesting that people are always curious, like, how did it go down? And I actually haven't shared either birth story in detail publicly at all, apart from, you know, within my, my actual friend groups. So this will be a fun place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about Edie. Edie was okay. baby number one. I mean, yeah. she was like, she was our pandemic baby. We celebrated her with like a little Zoom shower i didn't even get to go to Edie's shower actually no we had like a Edie's shower was like a drive-by shower we were doing that and we were wearing masks yeah so wild but yeah Edie was a special little girl actually fun fact when Edie was baptized her um saint name is bridget saint bridget of ireland fun fact she turned like bath water into beer (laughs) Another <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let that same Bridget. She's cool. Anyways, so Edie was, yeah, like a pandemic baby. At the time that she was born, I was allowed to have my husband in the hospital with me. Um, and they had just allowed like a doula to come with you if you wanted. I did like hypnobirthing classes and stuff because I was like, well, maybe I can like, I don't know what it feels like to give birth. So I'm like, maybe I can try to do it unmedicated. Like, I want to be able to know what that is, what that strategy would be. And then when I'm in it, I can kind of see what I want to do, you know, and, and just, I, I just want to kind of take it day by day, which, which for me, I think I'm very proud of that approach to both of my births, just being like, I'm just going to take it as it comes mm-hmm. because that, that is not in my nature. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I'm working towards, but to be just in the moment and being like, I'm going to trust myself to make the decisions that I need to in, in that experience. So Eden's birth, both of my births actually were kind of rare in that they both started spontaneously with my water breaking. Mm-hmm. And what was amazing was I was listening as part of like the hypnobirthing stuff. I was listening to these meditation tracks to help me fall asleep at night. And my husband and I would actually listen to them together, but they were kind of meditations about birth and your baby coming to you and accepting, you know, birth in quite like confidence and calm and they're beautiful. Then they really helped us fall asleep. So the night before I went into labor, I had actually had, I had an induction scheduled for a variety of reasons, but I had an induction scheduled, but I had moved it by two days um, because I just had this overwhelming sense. I was like, I need to give her a little bit more time. My doctor was like, well, your blood pressure is a little bit high for your normal. Like I'm a person that has like very low blood pressure normally. So it was kind of difficult to see that my blood pressure was kind of spiking because it was actually still a normal range for Mm -hmm. most people. I was like, I need to give this baby a little bit more time. So anyways, you rescheduled the induction and Andrew and I, I went for this like long, like, I don't know, I think like six, seven mile hike that day, which walk around the neighborhood. I just felt like it. And then we went out to dinner and I was feeling so much more peaceful now that we had like moved the induction and we had this wonderful romantic dinner. And then we did the meditation when we were going to sleep. And the one that we did was like, as the husband and the wife, like put your hands on the belly and like basically like breathe love to the baby and tell them that like they can come in their own time. And I just, that's how I fell asleep with like Andrew's hand and my hand on my belly and just telling, telling her that like she's loved and she's safe and she can come when she's ready. And that night at 2 a.m., my water broke like a water balloon. Literally like I got up out of bed and like stood up out of bed. <laughs> and it was like, it was like in the movies, you know, I, I was very much expecting like, oh, your water doesn't really break often. You know, that's they usually break it in the hospital or it breaks later or something. Mm-hmm. But it, like it was so, oh, great. I thought I had to pee. I stood up and it was like splashed to the point where it like woke <laughs> Andrew up. And I was like, okay, like <laughs> I don't think that was peeing myself. So I think this is where getting going here. So I like got in the shower and within a couple of minutes, my contractions were already like five minutes apart and then like three minutes apart. So Andrew was a little nervous and he's like, I think we should just go to the hospital because a, a woman that I had hired to be my doula 
kind of like double booked me, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was intentional, but but she wasn't available that night. And my plan was like to labor at home for a long time and then just like go to the hospital, like have the baby. Then we're like, okay, well, we don't have the doula. And Andrew's like, I don't want to stay here. He's like, you're literally having like contractions, like right one after the another. So we just, we went to the hospital and yeah, my labor just like ramped up really fast and furious. And I, I did end up getting an epidural about eight hours in because I was throwing up from the pain levels. It was just like, I was having double contractions because of the shape of my uterus and stuff. Anyways, so I I was throwing up from the pain and just got like really, really exhausted. It's been about eight hours in. So I did decide to get the epidural and fell asleep for about an hour, woke up and was like fully dilated and pushed for like a couple minutes. And my baby was there. So I do realize I'm like, that was a special and pretty seamless, like a really difficult still experience of birth. So I was very grateful that and like over the moon, happy with our baby and she was healthy and everything was going well, you know, but a couple of days after we brought her home, they kept me in the hospital because my heart rate like got really low. So they kept us like there for two days, but everything with the baby was seeming fine and I seemed like, okay. So I got home and then a couple of days after I started having like a trigger warning for anyone who's experienced yeah. postpartum hemorrhaging. I know that it can be kind of traumatic from firsthand experience. So again, this is what I'm going into. I started having some hemorrhaging, but it was like slow in the beginning and then it got worse. (laughs) And I was so focused on the baby that it was sort of like this other thing that I'm like, is this normal? Is this normal? Like maybe this is normal and I should just overlook it. Mm -hmm. And different doctors were on call because it was still sort of like COVID time, you know, and then one doctor was like, you need to go into the ER if it's that bad. So it's like a couple of days after we brought our baby home, we pack her up and we like go to the ER in the middle of the night. And they let me bring my husband and my baby back there to make an exception because I'm like, I'm actively breastfeeding and like, you know, this is like a lot going on. So Andrew like stays the whole night sitting in like the chair in the ER. We're like feeding the baby while I have like IVs in and stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't really like come up with like anything. Like a, a OB on call comes and sees me and like ends up telling us to like, we stayed in the ER for several hours and then it kind of like the bleeding sort of naturally just like calmed down a little bit. And she's like, well, why don't you go home at six in the morning and then go in and get like an ultrasound? So we go home. I go into the office the next day, get an ultrasound and they're like, oh, I don't think there's any placenta left over in your, like, your uterine wall, which can sometimes cause hemorrhaging. But, like, let's do a DNC anyways to, like, just clear out the clotting. So I went in for a DNC procedure, which, for those of you that haven't heard that, I can't remember what it stands for. It's you probably know Dissection this. and cutterage. Yes. It's, it's you know, they go in and they basically, like, till the, u- the uterus, till the uterine walls. It's, um, you know, they use it for abortion and also, like, if there's uterine tissue still in there yeah take it out Mm -hmm. yeah so I went in for that which you know was like kind of crazy feeling with my baby at home and everything and I was trying to like still pump and you know send milk home and Andrew was gonna be home with the baby for a little while so I had that but I came home and that night it had kind of stopped but after it sort of stopped that night started up again even stronger and there was at one point I stood up to like use the restroom and I felt super faint I asked my husband to like come and stand by me to help me like walk me to the restroom and I and I passed out and had some like massive hemorrhaging to the extent that he had to call ambulance to take me to the ER Um, and I had to receive blood transfusions and a cocktail of different medications to help the bleeding stop Mm -hmm. so long story short eventually it did stop and I was able to like make it home to my baby and everything was like pretty normal. But I, I do think that experience made me very anxious that I had missed out on specific bonding with my baby during those first few days when, you know, this was pulling us in different directions. And I was really fixated on the time about like not moving my baby to formula. So I was really like trying to pump and get the baby breast milk. And, you know, we had some like latch issues later and I, was worried that it was because of that week. So I, I pinned a lot on that week, you know, and this thing happened to me and that it was like 
it would have this lifelong effect on my baby and my, my bond to my baby. So with my second pregnancy, I was very worried that this would happen again because it can, you know, happen multiple times with, you know, pregnant people. You can have postpartum hemorrhaging multiple times in a row. But I had switched doctors with my second pregnancy and my second doctor was wonderful and really made me feel confident that, you know, it probably wouldn't happen again. But if it would, he would be ready for it. He's like, we're going to just prepare as if it's going to. And then if it doesn't, we're good. And it ended up not happening. My second, my second um, pregnancy, my second birth was even faster than Eden's. Eden's from start to finish labor was like active labor, I think was like 12 hours. Active labor with Nina was only like six hours. It was wild. (laughs) Also started with like a water break. Yeah. And literally like I did get an epidural also the second time around. And within like 20 minutes of the epidural, I was pushing and she was out and it was wild. wild. Yeah. And I didn't have that. I didn't have any hemorrhaging or anything after Nina, which was such a relief. Fun fact, I did end up having the same exact nurse at the hospital for both babies. And we both were delivered in the same room. Both were two days after their due date that they, that labor started spontaneously and they were born. So um, kind of crazy synchronicity with both of them. But yeah, Yeah. long bird story kind of explanation. But, you know, I do like to share it because it's, um, you know, or at least in in person when I've told people about that. In my experience of sharing, having gone through postpartum hemorrhaging, almost everyone I know has someone they know that, that had that happen for them as well. So, well, it's so, it's so scary. I mean, you have to like giving birth is, is still, there's, you know, unfortunately the U S still has a fairly high mortality rate for women who deliver. I think it's worse in underserved areas, but it's still definitely an issue. And unfortunately it's worse for, for BIPOC Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. I mean, childbirth is, is gnarly. It is gnarly. It was crazy. At one point, I think my hemoglobin level, I think a normal hemoglobin, am I saying that right? Hemoglobin Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. level is like 12 or something. Mm -hmm. Mine was at a five. Yeah. That's pretty low. (laughs) So you lose a lot of you lose a lot of blood. Like they don't tell you how much you bleed after pregnancy. Like you just don't expect it. But like you're in diapers or pads for for a couple of weeks after yeah. giving birth, and it gets better as it should over time. But yeah. like, yeah, I remember that was a really scary time. I feel like the timing between your cancer diagnosis and treatment and then your wedding and then you guys having Eden like I remember feeling for Andrew because he was really such a champ like you know it wasn't like there was any other option but for him to just be Eden's dad but like so scary for him also to be there witnessing that happening to you after everything else that you guys had gone through well and it was kind of crazy because it's like with my cancer diagnosis when I was going through it, like Andrew was in the hospital with me, you know, mm-hmm, for me, mm-hmm. when you have a baby and it was sort of this representation where it was like, he had to take care of the baby. So I'm like, yeah. I'm good. I got this. Like, as long as I'm at the hospital, you know, like you be strong for me and I'll be strong for you. And like, we'll both be strong for a baby. And like, we'll just kind of figure this out. So I, like, even though I was like alone in the hospital, it's just really difficult. You know, they did at one point, like, let him come and let me like nurse the baby a couple times, you know, yeah. as a visit, which is like a really big deal during COVID because, you know, I was, um, it was being... the wild west still. No yeah. They were like, they were like people, there are cancer patients dying in this wing and they are not allowed to see their family in their last mm-hmm. moments. They're like, that's how strict we have to be right now. And it's devastating. And they're like, so we're going to make an exception for your baby to come up here to see you because we want like, these are kind of critical moments in like a, a maternal mental health, yeah. you know, point of view, which I, I felt really blessed that like a, a nurse saw that for me. Yeah. But yeah, it was a crazy time to kind of go, go through all that. But yeah, my, my husband was incredible through all of it. He really stepped up and, you know, I do think that going through difficult things together 
adds significance to your relationship. And I think you and I, even we've talked about this with like our friendship. It's like bearing difficult things together, you know, not fixing them necessarily, but just bearing them together, you know, it adds significance to your relationship. And I think that on a more macro level, like we felt that with our, our community and that's part of our mission is like bearing it together. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's like the perfect translation for what I was trying to express earlier, even with, you know, miscarrying and with pregnancy loss is just being able to share it with a community is, is so meaningful and, um, healing. Mm -hmm. Thankfully I had, I had a pretty good experience delivering Jude. It was a little wild because I have had the same OBGYN for, since I was, you know, in my late teens, Dr. Jay Goldberg. And he was just this incredible, like had this very easygoing sense to him, but was also very informative. And like he and I had just built like a really great rapport over the last 10 plus years. So he was with us through, you know, all of my pregnancies, all of the losses, did a lot of like screening procedures on me um, when we were going through infertility. And, you know, I had to have a couple like smaller surgeries and he always presided over them. And so we were so excited when we were pregnant with Jude, but unfortunately, um, like exactly halfway through my pregnancy week 20, Dr. Goldberg had a massive heart attack over Memorial Day weekend. Actually, it's coming up on a year of him not being here anymore. And so the community lost like a giant in the world of obstetrics and gynecology. He was like, you know, such a fabulous teacher and such a staple in the community and really strove to educate women, educate men, everything in between to teach. And he was just like a really, really wonderful guy. So it was jarring because you know, we had this baseline level of anxiety through the pregnancy and then to lose like the doctor, you have so Mm -hmm. much trust and it was just devastating. Luckily, he worked in a practice who, you know, despite the loss that they were all feeling, they did a great job of stepping up and trying to make sure all of the patients were taken care of. Um, And they eventually hired somebody named Dr. Matt Guile, who actually knew Dr. Goldberg and they were friends and um, we ended up landing with him, not on purpose, actually. We were kind of like deer in the headlights, like trying to figure out who the new OB would be for like the second half of our pregnancy. And we thought it'd be one doctor who was fantastic, but then that doctor went on vacation in the last like two months of my pregnancy. We just kept seeing Dr. Guile and he was so informative and like so for me, I really need like, I need somebody who will like, just give me the facts, like Mm -hmm. tell me the statistics, like shoot it to me straight. And with my autoimmune diagnosis, I have a lot of inflammation in my axial spine, specifically like in my pelvic area. And so one of the fears we had during pregnancy was we knew it was going to get worse when I was pregnant because of all the pressure and the stretching that happens um, as your baby gets bigger. And we weren't sure that I was going to be able to deliver vaginally, which for me, if I could do what I really wanted to, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to, I mean, you get your baby here healthy in whatever way you have to, but the body is an incredible thing. And like by design, giving birth naturally, like there's literally like, as the baby's coming out of the birth canal, it's like, stimulating the baby's lungs so it's primed for the first breath like it's it's so a perfectly designed process yeah and so for me it was like very meaningful and it was something I really wanted if we could try it and Dr. Guile was just like he was so great about hearing the things that were important to me giving birth naturally like making sure that my birth was safe like making sure if I you know needed to have medications that I had access to them but that I didn't necessarily want to just like throw the kitchen sink at like pain or discomfort like but I wanted to be able to make those choices informed and you know at the time and not feel forced and so I think I learned a lot from the people around me that had been pregnant I learned a lot from you about you know knowing what I wanted and taking my time and not feeling rushed and so he was able to create that plan with me and We ended up having to induce because my son dropped really low into my pelvis 
my water never broke, oddly enough, because he was kind of like a plug, <laughs> like, <laughs> like a, a wine cork and yeah. was like just stuck there. But for like a month, he was down so low that we just kept thinking any second now my water is going to break. It started to get really, really uncomfortable. And so we actually had to induce because it started to get to a point where I like couldn't walk. <laughs> yeah. He was so, around. Yeah, yeah. And um so we induced and he it was two weeks before his due date. And um, you know, when they induce you, they they hook you to an IV, they monitor your belly. And I just, you know, for a while, like we did everything unmedicated and I let like the contractions come for like two because I was already contracting at that time too. It was like yeah. enough. It's just that my water hadn't broken. So I was contracting and I was in labor for about 13 hours before I was like, I'm really tired, but I was also so amped up that I couldn't fall asleep. And so I opted to have my water be broken. And shortly after my water was broken, I opted to get the epidural. And I told the doctors at the time, this was my one thing. I didn't really have a great experience with the epidural because it like, I responded so quickly to the bullet, like the initial amount of medication that for like hours, like I could not move my lower body like Mm. at all, couldn't feel anything. And I think some women want that. But for me, if I don't move my body, everything starts like kind of locking up and getting painful. So after a couple hours, we had them shut it off. And um, like my body responded to that because things were moving a little bit slowly. And once they shut it off, I like finally fell asleep because I felt like I could like reposition myself. And then I woke up it, literally, we hit 24 hours of labor. I woke up like right after midnight, maybe like one, I think I woke up at like 1.15 and I was like, something feels different. <laughs> and we like looked at the monitor. I had been fully contracting like crazy the entire time. He had like all of a sudden descended like in that hour. I was fully dilated and we paged the doctor and, um, I had to actually, like, they were like, okay, you need to kind of, like, wait, like, try not to push right now, like, try to give your body some time, because he was ready to go. The doctor got there, like, an hour later. (laughs) They have to sleep. (laughs) They have to sleep at a certain point, so I, like, couldn't be upset, and, like, things were, things were bearable. He got there, and we got ready, you know, to push, and I pushed for 30 minutes, and baby was out, and um, we had music going, and they had, like, the oil like you know for the pelvic floor massage and everything Mm -hmm. and so like that part was a really good experience and I like went into a really intense place in my head because I was like I'm just gonna like help this baby get out here and um, you know he did most of the work and now it's my turn and I and I had a pretty good experience the one thing that was really difficult was that my placenta so I had a huge belly when I was pregnant we thought the baby was going to be pretty big like my husband's 6'2 like his all of his nieces and nephews were like eight plus pounds (laughs) and um so we were like shoot this is gonna be a big baby and when baby came out he was like normal he was six pounds um 14 ounces and um normal length my placenta was gigantic like whatever cardio and strength training I was doing. The placenta was bigger than my child. A little bit too quiche to yeah. be like over providing, over nurturing. <laughs> it's just like straight A student when it comes to taking care. Gigantic. But they actually, because of that, I had a really hard time with the afterbirth. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really even know that this happened, but my doctor had to like manually help remove the placenta, which without like, there's a high that you have when you're having your baby. And so you're like, you have all this adrenaline going and like that part it, it was painful, but it's also like euphoric in the sense that yeah, you're like, my I'm baby's about to meet here. my baby. Yeah. Yeah. And then so like that's all bearable, but the placenta removal after was like horrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially horrible. if you had kind of like been weaning off of the epidural. It's like, oh, yeah. Enough, like, it was totally gone. It was that. totally gone. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Poor Kevin I did- was. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, what's so funny. I feel like there were some surprising things that were actually very helpful during birth that I didn't know would be as as impactful. 
um, you're talking about like music and I felt like music was like mm-hmm. on a spiritual level, like so mm-hmm. there, especially in the moment of birth, like for both children, I have like imprinted on me, like the songs that were playing when they were born. What was playing? Um, for Eden, there is a song from, um, it's an Indian movie, the Bombay theme by, I think it's A.R. Rockman. It's an Indian song, this beautiful like string version of this like I'll have to play it for you sometime. It's just okay. beautiful, beautiful, like Indian song, which was like so special in so many ways when Eden was born. Because also at that time, my OB was also Indian. So she recognized it and she was like, oh, my God, like this is like a really like special Indian movie, you know, mm-hmm. that it's from. I had put together this like whole playlist. And with Nina, it was a London grammar song that I really love. Um, so they both were really special. And like, like I felt like music really helped me through like the you know the most intense parts mm-hmm. of labor i also did not mention with nina's birth i hired a doula because at first i was like oh should i even hire another doula like my first one didn't wasn't there but i i hired a really wonderful doula team and that was delightfully helpful for like, i i honestly will say like my birth of nina was like <laughs> really fast and furious but like so enjoyable like she came she met us at the hospital and also she kind of guided me through like my water broke with Nina, but it wasn't as aggressive as with, with Eden. It was like, you are in labor with <laughs> Nina. It was like, I'm like, it's broken. It's leaking. I'm like having like real mild contractions for a few hours. I'm like, am I good? And she, and I was texting her these things and she's like, mm-hmm. stay at home, like have a nice breakfast with your daughter, you know? Mm-hmm. And I went for like a walk with my mom and then we just like rolled up to the hospital and met up with her and she did like essential oil massage on my ankles and like, like these different things to kind of get labor going and stuff. Yeah. And she was just like such a wonderful guide through that whole process. Some people are like, oh, I have no interest in having a doula. But like, if you are a person that thinks you might benefit from another layer of support, I have nothing but good things to say about great doulas in the space. I will say that I felt particularly empowered by my doulas because I expressed strongly that I was like, I hemorrhaged my first birth. I will be giving birth in a hospital. Mm-hmm. I'm like, <laughs> no doubt about it. That is the only way I will relax enough to like have a baby again. Um, and she so respected that, you know, I was like, yeah. I want to kind of like, I do want to feel my contractions and like feel what birth feels like and everything. But I'm like, but I also want someone that like can respect if like what I need some medical intervention or if like I, I, I want someone that's going to be with me when I'm making choice. And she's like, that's my whole job is to like give you the birth that you want, you know? Yeah. She's like, And I love that because I think the whole idea, I think like the whole overarching theme of motherhood like the whole thing about unsolicited advice or like what the right things to say are is like really giving somebody the freedom to make their own decisions and choices and just like being able to trust in yourself and your intuition to make those choices as they come yeah and I think like it was always really significant to me because I remember you obviously had Eden and Nina before I gave birth to Jude and just the experience of being your friend and watching you walk through it with such grace and saying like, I'm going to try really hard to take these things as they come. You know, as much as you want to control a situation, you are very, um, you're very adamant about it and you really lived that. And I mean, it gave me a lot of strength to to follow suit when I had my baby. And so that was like a great example that you gave me. Uh, well, that means a lot to me. But yeah, I, I do think that like those those little things that helped. Yeah, you just feel this, this extra sense of intuition. I think when you're pregnant, which felt like a gift, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I think that approaching it like I'm going to just be moment to moment here and like whatever happens like I'm I trust in myself to make the choices from you know that will be best for me and for my baby and I think that that had a really great outcome in both settings even with like the trauma of what happened after Eden's birth I do think that that like that feeling around um, birth is uh, was really special and and, and very fortunate to have had that kind of take on birth and, it, and I think you were too. Yeah, I think it I think it matters a lot. I think that's what gave me a lot of peace giving birth to Jude cuz like there was so much anxiety not having my original OP there. 
um, you know, having the fear consistently throughout pregnancy that it, you know, it wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to get to bring my baby home that like, you know, all, all of these things cross your mind constantly. Um, especially, you know, for me, like I had all of that anxiety was deeply rooted in the trauma of losing, you know, multiple pregnancies. You just don't, you, I started to believe I was like, well, like it's just not going to happen. And so it wasn't until like my son was on my chest and then like we were bringing him home and then like we were staring at him in bed like the first night, like, is he okay? You know, that it like really starts to sink in like, no. And even now I'll like look at my baby and be like, I can't believe that every choice we made has brought us here, you know, and some, some things that were out of our control, but yeah, being a mommy is wild. And then hearing him say mama today. I know, the best. (laughs) One resource that I wanted to make sure um, we brought up in this conversation around like birth too. I think that even in movies and stuff, like birth is such an event, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that in the movies, it's like there are some issues with like some of the ways it's portrayed where it's like everyone said it was like your water breaks. And then you think that for everyone, your water breaks like that. And then you're screaming in labor and the baby comes... I'm like, I don't think I screamed at all during my yeah, labor. Like, I didn't maybe, scream either. Maybe kind of whined a little bit from the pain, like kind of just yeah. pathetically, but there was definitely no screaming. You didn't have <laughs> the energy for that, you know? But like, you know, there's this like TV version of birth that's not really accurate in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I think that not a lot, a lot of people talk about uh, postpartum and like, you know, experience like breastfeeding and how much of a learning curve that can have. For, you know, it's sometimes I think some people have an easier time just like establishing breastfeeding. But, you know, if you have any latch issues and stuff, it can be really, really difficult um, mm-hmm. physically and emotionally. Um, but I wanted to share that like there are um, most insurances will cover visits from a lactation consultant. Mm-hmm. I in my experience, I literally I think it was like 10 visits that were covered in my home. She came to my home yeah. and helped me with the with Nina's latch, which had some difficulty. And I, I didn't know that resource was there when I was um, breastfeeding Eden. And I wish I would have because, you know, there were things that could have been kind of fixed with the way I was breastfeeding Eden that we did address when I was breastfeeding Nina. So that is something like to not stay away from finding a lactation consultant. It's called IBCLC is the... Uh, acronym for a uh, yeah. internationally certified like, lactation consultant, but they are wonderful, wonderful yeah. <laughs> and available to you. There's actually, I know one of the things we definitely wanted to talk about was um, breastfeeding, but I think, I, <laughs> I think it would go into like a whole, a whole other hour, but I think we'll definitely link ILBC is a great one. La Leche League is a nonprofit that is specifically for women who are breastfeeding. Um, and they have a lot of resources as well for women who choose not to or who can't breastfeed. A lot of resources for like breast milk donation, et cetera, things like that, information about formulas. And then there's a company called My Nursing Coach. So we can link all of that because that's a very significant part of the journey that I think we'll hopefully get to talk about in one of our future episodes. Eventually, we're probably going to have to like face the yeah. transition of like meeting our babies again. And, yeah, you know, that whole experience, maybe around that time, we can time in a, an episode on that. But yeah, but yeah so this has been <laughs> quite a duel of, an, <laughs> of episodes. Um, I know it's like sometimes I feel like we're sharing like all these details of like birth and stuff. Sometimes half of me is like, who would even care? And then half of me is like, oh, my God, these are so many graphic details. Yeah, yeah. But then also I'm like, I don't know. I've never heard anyone's birth story and been like, oh, I don't want to hear this. And like, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. You well, know, I think and before it can so I had a ways. baby, too, I yeah. mean, you just don't know what to expect except what you see on TV. And those yeah. things are just so not real. And so hopefully, hopefully this episode was as meaningful for you as it was for us to record. And I also, I feel like some people are like, oh, like she's people share these like gnarly birth stories and stuff. And like, <laughs> I think the takeaway for both of us when we share, share birth stories and everything is that like, at the end of the day, like, regardless of like how birth goes, I am so proud of myself for 
every part of pregnancy, my pregnancy experience and birth experience. And I'm simultaneously so proud of all women straight up. Mm -hmm. Like now I feel like having gone through birth, like I honestly have, I'll have this like crazy moments in like the grocery store. I'm like, wow, that mom has like three kids. I can't offer grocery cart. She can't purchase all three of those kids. She's taking <laughs> care of them. She's fed them. You know, and I, like, I just have so much respect for like all women and mothers everywhere. So I and love you guys. <laughs> yeah. And especially my key shout girl. out. <laughs> and especially you, Asha. Shout out to our moms. Shout out to our moms. And our all the moms, moms I know. all the moms going. <laughs> all right. With that, we love you guys. We will see you again next week for another episode. Next week will be an interview. Thank you for joining us again, as always, as part of our community. We will see you next time. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?